Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Welcome once again, fight fans, to another episode of Legendary Nights. And today's episode is the tale of Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward, an unbelievable trilogy between two absolute warriors of the sport and two guys that would go on to be the best of friends. Before we get into the episode, as always, please go and check us out on social media on Twitter at Legend Night Pod and the Facebook page BTR Boxing Podcast. Also, please go and check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, TuneIn, any available podcasting app out there. Please go and check us out. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It truly helps. So, without further ado, this is the next episode of Legendary Nights. This is the tale of Gatti versus Ward. <laughs> One of the greatest trilogies in boxing history. It's Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward. It's one that we've always wanted to do for the Legendary Night series. And it's one that's obviously now finally come to fruition. And we're really excited to go through the tale of Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward. The three fights, we are going to be covering the three fights, but mainly predominantly looking at the first fight and how it led into what was an epic trilogy and a wonderful friendship at the end of it all. So, Johnston, this is one of the fights that is up there as people's number one fight to go to to watch on YouTube or 
you know, during a period of, of isolation which we're in now, this is the type of fight that people want to go and watch. The, the trilogy between these is absolutely epic. It really is, and, and, and you're bang on. If anyone is in isolation and has never seen all three, take yourself away, find yourself half an hour, 45 minutes, and watch one and then the other, literally three of them back to back. It is a great tale, it really is. Everything about Gatti and Wolves, what they represent as fighters as well. They're not necessarily the the biggest names in boxing, although maybe some may say Gatti was, but just just between the pair of them, and as you say, I mean, the friendship they, they ended up having at the end of this fight, what well, the three fights, is, is just really emotional, really. And, and when you watch the Legendary Night documentary, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't help but admit that when I first watched that a few years back, you know, I had to hold back the tears a little bit because it really is emotional, and, and hopefully we can do it justice because excellent fights and obviously the first one is spectacular absolutely spectacular indeed so as always with the legendary night series we will do a bit of deep diving into the careers prior to the first fight for both men and we're going to start of course with mickey ward and let's talk about mickey ward and his career so when you look back on mickey ward's career people did refer to him as a little bit of a journeyman at that period of time now he actually won his first 14 fights after turning professional following a decent amateur career where he actually won the new england golden Gloves championship three times before turning over in 1985 however after losing three of his next fights that's where his career started to fizzled out and he went off to a record of, of 19 and 3 and then from there on he followed by four consecutive losses in 1990 and 1991 against Harold Brazier, who was 67-10-1, Charles Murray, who was 17-0, Tony Martin, 22-3, and, and Ricky Mayers, 15-1. So Ward decides at this point that it's not going as well as what he thought it was for him, so he decides to take a little bit of a hiatus from boxing. Now, during his time away from the sport... He actually used some of the funds from his day job, which was road paving, Mickey Ward's career, till even now he's still doing it as a road paver. So this money that he had put away, he used it to have surgery on his right hand. And it had given him a lot of problems in, in several of his bouts, so he decides he needs to get this surgery done. And the surgery actually used some of the bone from Ward's pelvis to strengthen and fuse bones in the hand. Now his half-brother, and also a former boxer, Dickie Eklund, and this was the same Dickie Eklund, by the way, who lost to Sugar Ray Leonard via a unanimous decision in 1978. He was also struggling himself. He had a drug addiction and he'd just been released from jail on charges which included drug possession. He convinced Mickey Ward to decide to take up the sport once more. Yeah, Dickie Eklund, I mean, we'll, we'll, for those that have seen the film The Fire, if you haven't seen it, I suggest you go and watch it. There's a, there's a big part on Dickie, which is played by Christian Bell and he's had serious problems with he the famous scenes I remember with the fighter is him sort of getting high on crack and describing the fight with Sugar Ray Leonard. So, really interesting that you know he, although he was battling those drug addictions, he he was the one who managed to convince Wall to come out and back into the sport again. And and after leaving boxing in October of 1991, Mickey Wall returned in 1994, three years later, with his next nine fights. So he came back and won nine fights on the spin, which, is, which is, isn't a bad little return, really. And along the way, he picked up the less prestigious WBU Intercontinental Life Welterweight title in a fight against Louis Vida, 31 and over, undefeated at the time. And he was also on the undercard of Howard Davis Jr.'s last professional fight as well at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Three months later, at the Fortwoods Resort in Mashkan took it, Wall defended the WBU Intercontinental Welterweight title against 
Vida once again and recorded a unanimous decision on the card. So all ended 96 with a win over Manny Castillo before a seventh round knockout victory against the undefeated Mexican Alfonso Sanchez in 1990s. Now the fight is fittingly noted for the power he showed in that left hook to the body, which is something we will mention during the course of his towel and which scored him the victory. All was clearly behind on all the scorecards after being put down in the fifth before the left hook landed. During the fight, Larry Merchant, uh, Mr. Larry Merchant, always uh, excellent to pull some uh, quotes out from old Larry, even said it should be stopped due to the lopsided performance from Sanchez, but afterwards Merchant called it one of the most extraordinary things he'd ever seen in boxing. Now, in his first world title shot at the IBF lightweight title against the champion at the time, Vince Phillips, the fight was stopped in the third round due to cuts, and one year later, Ward would come up short again in a title fight, losing a 12-round decision to Zab Judah in the headline event on ESPN's Friday Night Fights. So, again, he's going to the upper echelons of the division, but... He's getting beaten by really well-known names like Vince Phillips and Zab Judah, who were great fighters in their own right in that period of time. So from 99 to 2000, Mickey Ward actually won four of his next five fights before going on to stop Steve Quinzonas in the first round with, again, another devastating left hook to the body, which set up the fight against Emmanuel Burton, or as well-known as Emmanuel Augustus, where he won... 10-round decision and was voted the Ring Magazine's 2001 Fight of the Year. They each bounce right hands off each other's heads. And because Burton doesn't go defensive too long, he's kept Mickey from going on long runs. And right now, Mickey's got a little run going. Why? Because Burton is going defensive. Yeah, but Burton is trying to get Ward to get sloppy. But if Burton gets away from those combinations and goes to one punch. Oh, Mickey Ward has a big edge, and that's all he needs. There's that body shot. And in a fight this close, that could tip the tail. Tail. You saw a little change there. Burton went into that defensive posture. Mickey knew what to do. Look for Mickey to stay on that body. So if anybody's not gone and seen this fight against Emmanuel Augustus, this is one of the most underrated fights you will ever watch. Anybody that's in isolation, anybody that's in lockdown at the moment across the world because of coronavirus, if you've not seen Mickey Ward against Emmanuel Augustus, then please go and watch it after this episode. After you've listened to this episode, go and watch that fight because that fight is unbelievable. There was a reason why it was voted Ring Magazine's 2001 Fight of the Year. Brilliant fight, Johnston. Ah, oh, absolutely stunning fight and, and absolutely got voted the Fight of the Year in 2001 and and that's something you're going to see with both these fighters, both guys that, you know, they would come up short against the elite fighters, as, as you rightly mentioned, Zab Judy and Vince Phillips for, for Ward, and we'll speak about Getty later, but it, it just shows you that although they weren't quite elite fighters, when they come up against those fighters, they just come up short. But they were always, they just had this will, this desire, and, and this this is the pinnacle. Please go and watch Emmanuel Augustus or Emmanuel Burton, as it was known at the time. And watch this fight because it's an absolute belt iron. And in January 2002, Ward lost to Jesse James Leisure after the fight was stopped due to Leisure. Is it Leisure or Leisure? I can't quite pronounce the guy's name. Getting cut, which was ruled to have been caused by a Ward headbutt. So four months later, and Ward was offered the Arturo Gatti fight, which was a chance for him to, to a resurgence in the 
for his career, really. It was basically a, a, a do-or-die fight for Ward. And we'll speak about the build-up a little bit, but, you know, this was the fight for him where he loses this. He's calling it a day. I started when I was seven years old, my yeah. first fight. I fought Freddie Roach's brother, Joey, in an outdoor arena in Lynn, Mass. You know, Lynn Harbour House, it was called. But anyways, uh, I started seven. But I didn't really fall in love with it, love it. I loved it. You know, I obviously loved it, but I didn't think I would do this as a profession until I was like... 18, 19. I fought nine times in one year, and I all in Atlantic City. Yeah, and I won my first fight, and then my second fight, then Teddy Brenner from New York, the great uh, Hall of Fame matchmaker, yeah, yeah. just passed away since, but uh, he took a liking to me on ESPN, my third fight, and I signed with top-ranked Bob Arum, top-ranked boxing back in like 84, maybe, or 85. And then I, from my third fight on, I was fighting in Atlantic City, I fought there probably 28 times. Dickie was in training me since I started. Obviously, there was a lot of tough times when he got, you know, when he started, when he got older and he started going into the drugs and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. A lot of times he wasn't there. Guys, they were always there. Mickey O'Keefe. Yeah, you know, right. Always Mickey O'Keefe was a big part of my career, too. You know, I had a lot of guys training, helping like, when Dickie wasn't there, but, you know, when he was there, there was nobody better. And I think looking back now, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me so mental strong and because I always said, now, I trained as hard as if he was there, if he wasn't there. Yeah, I was depressing a little bit, but I never really, I never really looked at it as being depressed. I just looked at it as a bump in the road, being mentally strong, saying, "Okay, I've lost four. Let me get back. Let me get back on track." And you know, try. I always left like all the outside stuff outside. Absolutely. So we move into the career of the legendary Arturo Thundergatti. He turned professional in 1991, and by the end of 1995, he'd actually amassed a professional record of 23 wins with only one defeat, which actually came earlier in his career. Now, it was at Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York on December the 15th, 1995, where Arturo Gatti got his first title shot at the IBF Junior Lightweight title against the current holder and adoptive son of heavyweight legend Floyd Patterson, Tracy Harris Patterson. He was 54-3-1 at the time, and he was also making his first defence of the title. Now, if you've not seen this fight, go back and have a quick look at this one. It's another good one. You can see Gatti. He boxed really well from the outside and even scored a flash knockdown in the second before going on to win his first ever world title by a unanimous decision. So following that victory, Gatti then goes on to sign a multi-fight deal with HBO to fight on their channel, HBO Boxing, which was the granddaddy of boxing channels at that particular time. So we're going back to the garden now. And in a candidate for fight of the year by Ring Magazine, Gatti made his first defence of the title against Wilson Rodriguez, who was 44-8-3. And And he was also making his American debut here at the time as well. Now, Gatti was put down in the second round after suffering badly with severely swollen eyes. And he was then deducted a point for a low blow in the fifth. One of many low blows in what was a little bit of a dirty fight before he ends up going to put Rodriguez down in the same round with a left hook to the body. Now in the six, Gatti eventually knocked out Rodriguez, who was more interested in defending his balls during the fight, so he left himself open for a stunning left hook to the head, and it would take more than a minute for Rodriguez to get off the canvas and reach his corner. Oh, it was, again, please, you know, this is this is one thing you're going to get with these two, as I say, come up still against the elite, but my goodness, there are so many fights of the years, and this is another one, and and Wilson Rodriguez, as you said, made his American and he was a Dominican. He came in, he was, he was schooling Getty. This is probably the first time you really see Getty in a bit of trouble, really, uh, for, for me, in a way. And, and I felt that 
he was exposing Gatti a little bit and, and Gatti was getting frustrated hence why he's thrown several low blows and so many low blows went in and the referee just didn't really address it so that's where it become a little bit of a dirty fight for Gatti's behalf really and to, 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 to Rodriguez's credit he didn't really bother to complain he just carried on you know as I said he was more interested in sort of covering up downstairs really and he, he did expose himself to that to that devastating left hook and it really did that clean it is an absolute belter of a finish and I really recommend anyone who hasn't seen this fight please go back and see it because it is an absolute stunner so a year later and Gatti would make the second defence of his IBF junior lightweight title against former champion Tracy Harris-Patterson in a rematch that was a lot more comprehensive than the first. So after getting the victory in that fight, we're moving to 1997, and the 1997 fight of the year by Ring Magazine, Gatti made his last defence of his 130-pound IBF title against veteran and former super featherweight champion Gabriel Ruiz, who was 44-3, and and it was at the Caesars Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. Now, the Mexican had lost a spark following the death of Jimmy Garcia, who died of injuries sustained in their bout on May the 19th, 1995. So he'd not really been the same since that particular fight, Ruiz, but both fighters in this particular fight were staggered. And in the fourth, Gatti landed his trademark left hook, which floored Ruiz. And although he did make it to his feet, the referee actually goes on to stop the fight. Now, the announcers labelled fifth round as a battle of uppercuts as both fighters <laughs> traded and swallowed clean shots. Even Penel Whitaker entered the ring after this particular fight to congratulate Gatti on what was such a big victory for him. It was an excellent victory for him and another excellent fight. And both fighters really struggled with the weight. They were both gold to, to make that £130 limit. But I think they came in because they used to do the uh, the HBO late night fights. And as you say, Morales obviously had that situation with Jimmy Garcia. He wasn't quite the same fighter. He did lose a spark. But in saying that, this was a you know 1997 fight of the year by Ring Magazine. An absolute stunner. The battle of the uppercuts in the fifth, literally just smashing each other. The defensive skills between the pair of them was just non-existent, but what a great fight. Expect anyone who hasn't seen it, go back and watch it, because this is one thing you're going to get throughout this when you run through their careers. They've just had so many great fights. and So Gatti did decide, obviously, after struggling with the weight, he decided to vacate the IBF world title and move up in weight to a lightweight division, which would turn out to be a bit of a nightmare for him. It was a terrible 1998 for him. All his next three fights were held at Atlantic City, starting with an eighth-round stoppage loss to Angel Manfredi, who was 22-2-1 and one at the time. And it, Manfredi basically did outscore Gatti. Gatti was put down in the third round. The fight was eventually stopped by the ringside doctor due to a, it was a dreadful cut. I mean, one thing you notice with Gatti, I mean, he would literally just wake up in the morning and have swollen eyes, I think. He, just, <laughs> he had swollen eyes. In every fight, I mean, he must have been half blind in some of his fights. And as I say, his defence was just... As soon as he got into a, a tear-up, he just didn't defend. He defended with his head. And that's basically why his eyes were just so bad. And this was a terrible cut. And the referee was... At, or the, the doctor, I should say, absolutely right to stop the fight. But, yeah, Angel Manfredi actually, uh, he got the victory. And, and then he was back at the convention hall in Atlanta City where Gatti would lose for the third time in his career in an absolute belter of a fight against... Ivan Robinson, who was 25-2, and two, which was also named the 1998 Fight of the Year and Upset of the Year by Ring Magazine, which was a bit, baffled me a little bit, because Ivan Robinson was a bit better than they made him out to be. I think I thought Gatti was 
being put on this sort of this top top fight or whatever. I never feel that Gatti was, although he thoroughly entertained me every time I bloody watched him. Let's just get it right, but. He wasn't an absolute superstar with the elite, and I thought that was a bit of a funny decision to get the upset of the year. But saying that, I mean, Sean, I'm sure you've seen it. Gatty Robertson won another absolute stunning fight in it. How big a factor has the damaged left eye been in Robinson's ability to land so many punches? I think it's been a big effect because he grabbed until he got up and see that right hand, and I haven't landed at the right hand all night long. Oh, that was a right hand tonight, Ivan. Oh, Ivan is almost out of his feet. Gatty again. 44 seconds to go. This would be the miracle of all miracles if he's able to pull it off. Robinson trying to hold. Gotti looking for one big clincher. Now Robinson seems to be collecting himself. Oh, what a right hand that was. I think Gatti spent himself. I don't think there's too much left to pull this off. <laughs> He still tried though, Larry. He still tried hard, Larry. Oh! Oh, what drama! What a fight! <laughs> oh, what drama! Oh man, I tell you, we've already gone through part of Gatti's career, and you've already got three fights there that you need to go back and look at, and we can't advise you anymore to, to go and do it, because these two guys' careers, both Ward and Gatti's careers, you know, they had their own fair share of fantastic underrated fights, but obviously because of the trilogy they had, which we're covering, a lot of these fights do go well underrated, so when we do mention it to you on the podcast, that's why we tell you to go and look back on these, because these are fights that are, are long forgotten about, because you're looking at these big fights that we're covering for the Legendary Knights series so definitely go back and, and look at the Evan Robinson fight as well brilliant brilliant fight for, for Arturo Gatti there so this particular fight again it was the curse of the swollen eyes in the duration of the whole <laughs> bout but he actually did go on to put Robinson down in the fourth with a well-timed right hand on the top of the head Robinson was overall the better boxer on the night and he was ahead on the scorecards moving into the 10th and Arturo Gatti then goes and lands with his left hook twice and almost ended the fight. If that fight had gone on another two more rounds, if it wasn't a 10 rounder and it would have gone on to the 12 round distance, I I think you possibly could have seen Gatti actually go on to win that fight but you don't know because he was pretty spent at the end of the 10th round so... Maybe maybe Robinson would have would have carried on and continued to nick it. I don't know. It's 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 one of them ifs, buts, and maybes. But it's definitely one that you can go and watch and really, really thoroughly enjoy. So, in a very close fight that could have gone either way, Gatti lost a split decision. This was the second year in a row that Gatti was given a Fight of the Year award, and the third year in a row that a Gatti fight was actually nominated for a fight. So this just goes you goes to show you the the, the magnitude of the fights he were involved in that we we're urging you to go and watch. Now, four months later, at the Trump Taj Mahal, Gatti and Ivan Robinson embarked in a rematch that was another all-action fight, but this time. It was Ivan Robinson that won it more convincingly by unanimous decision. Although Gatti was always in the fight, it was competitive. It wasn't as significant in the second fight as he was in the first. Absolutely. And, and again, the second fight is also another excellent fight. Didn't get any awards. Wasn't a candidate, but I'll tell you what, it was another great fight. You know what you're going to get with Gatti and Robinson. You know, he was a very good fighter, Robinson. I thought a little bit, you know, I think I felt like when I watched it back again is 
they did sort of make it out like this guy was just going to be nothing against Gay, but he proved his worth and obviously he won that second fight a lot more convincingly. And So after three routine victories at welterweight, because obviously Gatti has now decided to move up to the welterweight division from 1999 to 2000, Gatti decided to take on, take on a certain Oscar De La Hoya, who was at the time 32-2. and two. And this was in March 2001 at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And basically, De La Hoya was just too good. He was too strong for Gatti. And to be quite honest with you, he annihilated him over the course of the five rounds before the two of Gatti's corner threw in the towel. And, and I must say that this is one fight where, you know, if you're going to, how entertaining Gatti was, how entertaining Irish Mickey Wood was, you know, again, it was just a matter of when they stepped up against guys like Oscar De La Hoya. You know, you watch that fight. You, you can watch the Robertson fights. You can watch all the other fights with Gatti. Excellent fights. As soon as he comes up against a boxer in Oscar De La Hoya, he can box, he can punch, he can move. He destroyed him in them five rounds. And, and unfortunately for Gatti, it looked like many people were saying it was the end of the road for him. It certainly was. Everybody felt at the time around him it was the end of the road. It Maybe it was time to call it a day. But Gatti, the fighter that he was, he was not one to just lay down and, and quit like that. He decided he wanted to make a, another run at things. So following the defeat to Oscar De La Hoya, obviously many of them felt like he'd reached his potential and there was not really much more Arturo Gatti could do in the sport. But of course, Arturo Gatti wasn't ready to end his career just yet and decided that he was going to change his manager from Hector Rocha to Buddy McGirt, looking for a new beginning, to be more of a boxer than a slugger. He had his reservations, Buddy McGirt. He really did have his reservations about it. And he turned around and, and told him that this could be a bit of a step too far. You could really get hurt if you decided to carry on, and it could be a complete waste of your time. And, and I think it's maybe time to call it a day. But when he got him in the gym, he felt like he saw something different. And it made him change his mind on this particular project of working with Arturo Gatti. And actually, it gave Buddy McGirt one of the biggest challenges of his, his career as a coach, which was to try and turn someone like an Arturo Gatti into a better boxer and turn him into a world champion again. Gatti is probably the only fighter today who can lose a fight and his fans won't abandon him. Because of the way he's lost. Not the result. They felt exhilarated. And they felt good about being there. I walked up the boardwalk and uh, people were hugging me and saying that we still love you, still the best, and I appreciate that. Now, Mickey Ward, on the other hand, he was on his way out after 11 losses and at the age of 36, his need to always have a tear up and slug it out with all his opponents had given him the reputation of a warrior, but he was not and would never be technically a good fighter. I think Larry Merchant best describes Mickey Ward at this time, and he said... Mickey defined the essence of a journeyman fighter. After all, he was still working as a road trader while his career was still going on. In the old days, they would say he was a club fighter, but he remained a serious prize fighter who raised his game to a place where certain fighters of that stripe could not do. Absolutely right, and, and I can understand why Buddy McGirt had his reservations just going back to getting as well. I think people were sort of telling him that, you know, I think he's washed up, but but Bunny McGirt decided to take on the project and, and obviously with Mickey Ward, he was at the end of his career. So you had, on one side, you had Gay, who was not ready to give it up, changes his trainer, a fantastic trainer, really good trainer in Buddy McGirt, who's going to try and make him this boxer, a former world champion himself, and turn him into a bit more of a boxer puncher rather than just a slugger, because when he got hurt, that's what he did. It's not that it worked too well, but you know, 
it was great uh, theory behind it. And then you got Mickey Walsley about it, looking at it, this is it. 11 losses, you know, I'm on my way out. And Larry Merchant hit the nail on the head about him as a career. A lot of people did call him a club fighter. I think he was a little bit better than a club fighter, but obviously 11 losses didn't look great. Bit of a journeyman to some respects. But with Ward seriously considering walking away from the sport after not really earning any decent money either, I think he was about 10 to 20,000 on a good night. I believe it was his mother from watching the fire as well. His mother was his manager. But he did catch a lucky break when Lou DeBella called him up and asked if he wanted to sign with him. Now, DeBella had always fantasised with the idea of being able to get Ward Gatty. He, he obviously felt that Ward Gatty was going to be a big fight. So after making the signing of Ward, he set about his mission to get the fight made. And after contacting Cole Moretti, who was the matchmaker for main events, which was the Duva family, obviously, if anyone don't know the main events, is Kathy Duva and uh, Lou Duva. And it was agreed. Uh, and Gatty still had another fight with HBO and his team with, with Buddy McGurk were pretty confident that they could beat Ward. So although McGurk did once again, he had reservations about signing, with, with Gatty, but then after seeing Jim, obviously felt that he, he can he could do something with him. He also had reservations at the fact that he had seen a certain punch from Ward, and he had that certain punch in his armory, which was the left hook to the body. That was also the shot that he stopped Sanchez with. So interesting that he felt that way, and I believe he did say literally as he was walking his way down to the ring, he really started to think about that punch in particular, and and it's funny how much that fight sort of played in. We've uh, we've had the first fight went. I think it was actually uh, Buddy McGirt who said a fan mentioned it to them as oh, they were walking right. down. A fan actually turned around and said, "Mickey Ward's going to get him," and he actually did a descriptive way of doing it. He sort of said he's going to get him like this, as in sort of grimacing to sort of the left hook. So as soon as Buddy McGirt's continuing the ring walk, he even says in that documentary from HBO that he actually seriously started to really think about it on his way to the ring. This fight, of course, had all the markings and all the makings of being a barnstormer, with many observers predicting a fight of the year contender due to their come-forward styles. Tonight, we're at the newly renovated and incredibly beautiful Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut. Boxing After Dark, featuring two of the sport's ultimate warriors, Arturo Thundergatti and Irish Mickey Ward, as they get set to battle in the 140-pound weight class. Although it's only May, many ring observers predict Gatti Ward will challenge for Fight of the Year honors at the end of the calendar. In the past, both fighters have shown willingness to stand toe-to-toe and trade shots. But in his last fight, Arturo Gatti employed a more tactical style in a four-round destruction of Tehran Millet. So can he build on that performance, or will Mickey Ward lure him back into being the Gatti of old? We'll know more as both fighters get ready to enter the ring moments from now. The main fight, Gatti Ward won, it happened on May the 18th, 2002, on HBO's After Dark, which is what you mentioned earlier, Johnson, it was late night boxing, basically, it wasn't your your main primetime stream, it was the late night events, and it's crazy to think back now, when we go on to describe this fight, and, and the aftermath of what led on from the first fight, is that it was really just regarded as a fight there, you're probably not going to get a big viewership on this fight you, you get a few people tuning in to watch it but you're not going to get your big main primetime numbers on this so they didn't really consider it to be a, a main primetime event it was a 10 rounder so there was no titles on the line it was in a it was in a smaller than usual arena for for a fight of what was going to go on to be this magnitude so really when you put it on paper like that you think to yourself you know it's just pretty box standard it's going to be two two guys that are just going to go at it but 
when we go into the fight and we talk about it now, the the legacy of what this fight has left and what led on for these two guys in their careers is, is is unbelievable. Oh, it really is, and and I think those who've inside the industry always felt that this has the potential to be a fight of the year, but. I don't think many people that went along to the fight actually felt that it was going to be. I think many felt yeah, it was the heavy favourite. You know, it was clear to see he was the you know, Ward was the complete underdog, uh, and that was that was the way Gatti's camp felt. And uh, Ward, on the other hand, felt this is his last chance, this is the last fight. He even openly said after this fight, "I will retire if I lose it." And and as you say, it just it, it didn't unless you was within the industry and you knew the fighters. I don't think many really felt it was going to go the way it did. I mean. What, what a great fight. It really is at Sun Casino in Connecticut in USA. And as you say, HBO after dark, how many fights have they got? Well, Barrera Morelos was after dark as well. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about two of the best fights in the noughties ever. I mean, it's, it's incredible, really. After dark put these events on and, and no one really understood just how great that these fights are going to, what, what they're going to produce on the night. And yeah, absolutely I always, when we do these legendary nights, I always think, yeah, this is the greatest ever fight. I still don't think this is the greatest. I still always say Pirelles and Castillo is always, will always edge it. But I could, watching this back and just the emotion of it, I, honestly, I, I sort of feel like uh, this might, <laughs> might edge it tonight. I might change my mind tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait to break the fight down. It's just, it's, if anyone hasn't seen this fight and you're a boxing fan, I, I'm confused. I really don't understand because this is a go-to fight. But, you know, sometimes if you're new to the sport or you've never heard of it, or, you know, you never you never really heard of Gatty Wall, please, Garam, just watch the fight. It is an absolute battle. And, you know, we'll break this down, but, wow, it's just, it really, watching back, it, it really does bring back some old memories and, and what a great fight is. So the referee for this particular fight was Frank Cappuccino, legendary referee. And we started off the round not really as you would expect when we talk about the fight and we hype it up the way we do. Gatty actually box pretty beautifully on the outside with quick flurries and excellent combinations that actually frustrated Ward and made him miss. A cut ended up opening on Mickey Ward midway through the opening round on the outside of his right eye as a result of a left hook from Arturo Gatti. So Mickey Ward, something we haven't mentioned, is his tendency to cut throughout fights. It was something that happened to him quite a lot throughout his career in the lead up to this particular fight. So round one starts out where you you're looking at Arturo Gatti's career change really that the, the fact that he's actually boxing rather than slugging at this point but that obviously wouldn't go on for too much longer <laughs> because in round number two he continues to box to plan moving in and out really well connecting with solid combinations both upstairs and to the body and he did start to plant his feet a little bit more in round number two and often stay in the pocket longer than what he needed to Gatti was actually warned in the second round by Frank Cappuccino to actually keep them punches up. He actually said, keep them punches up, brother, because he started to stray <laughs> stray the punches a little bit lower than, than what they needed to be. Now, you move into round number three, and you start to see that Gatti didn't really have the same energetic movement he had in the first two rounds. It was like trying to teach an old dog new tricks with Arturo Gatti. You're trying to teach him how to box and move, but by round number three, he's starting to to stick and punch instead, so he actually boxed less and started to trade more with Ward, which resulted in Mickey Ward beginning to find his way into the fight, of course, and it was from this point on that the fight turned into the war that everyone expected. Gaddy's people have been most concerned about is just this kind of stuff that will keep Ward in the fight long enough to bust up Gaddy. Yep, and here's the right there. 
Here comes the Lowell, Massachusetts contingent rising to the occasion for their fighter. Yeah, and here's yeah. Eddie with some of that. I'll give it to yes. him in the body medicine. Now the fighters turn out to be what we expected. So much better boxing. They're standing up in round three. Maybe that by those body punches slowed Gaddy down a little bit. And now he's trying to slow Ward down with body punches too. Yeah, they really did. And Ward was always known to be a bit of a slow starter in a way. People felt that he would always start slow and figure out his opponent. It'd take him a couple of rounds to do so. And and Gatti, you know, just being Gatti, he, he obviously, as you say, you can't, you can't teach a, an old dog new tricks. He'd he done exactly what he was supposed to do in those first two rounds. But then obviously in the third round, it turned on its head and it became a little bit of a war. Well, it, it became an absolute war. And and from round four, Ward rocked Gatti with a right hand. But, but Gatti returned the favour with his trademark left hook, which caused Ward to take a couple of steps back. Now, a left hand landed just below Ward's waist belt and it actually sent Ward immediately down in pain onto the canvas. And, and Cappuccino, you know, he's no mug, Frank. If anyone actually has seen him uh, sort of in an interview or anything, he really does an old back in what he says. And, and Cappuccino straight away ruled it as, as a punch was a low blow, and he penalised Gatti one point straight away. There was no messing around, and that's what he did. And Ward was told he would be given five minutes to recover, but due to a miscommunication with the time maker, and the, the bell rang, so the round ended just seconds later. So he actually didn't get that time that he was he was promised. But one thing you do notice when they're sitting in the corners is the fighters' damage that they they had sustained in those first four rounds it was actually quite remarkable. As you could, you know, they were starting to take effect. Walls, right eye, and nose were bleeding, and obviously had the cut which opened up, and it was another cut on the bottom lip. So the cut on the eye, cut on the bottom lip. His nose is bleeding, and Gatti, as usual began to develop swelling uh, on his left eye. So <laughs> a, bit, a bit of wear and tear straight away for the fact that, that you know, from that third round, Gatti just stopped sort of moving as much as he was in those uh, in those first two open exchanges. That was also the round number four was the one where, when he caught him with that low blow, was that the bit where one of his bollocks got trapped in the cup as well? That's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, he explained that. God, the pain he must have felt. I'm surprised he, he, he didn't really, really push that five minutes because that must have absolutely... Oh, God, I couldn't oh, even imagine. Oh. No. No, it doesn't bear thinking about that. I mean, I've never really, I've, I've never really had that one happen to me. But I think everybody at some point has had a hit to the bollocks as a male, and it fucking hurts. And this, <laughs> this must have been hurted even more because this was actually it squashed one of his bollocks against his leg because of the cup, because of the way it went. And he explains it in the documentary that was done about this particular legendary night series. So. Oh man, yeah. This <laughs> I can't even imagine how he's feeling at this point. So we move into we move into round five now, and <laughs> Gatti's starting to Gatti's starting to connect pretty well early in the round with combinations. While Ward is 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 finding more success late on in the rounds. Now a flurry by Gatti sent Ward back into the ropes, to which Ward came forward and replied with an uncontested combination to Gatti's chin, and he hurt him with a left hook to the body. And broadcaster Jim Lampley said. It's a hellacious round, and Gatti was cut on the right eye. And we move forward into six. So Gatti returns to his boxing. He tries to go back and starts to have a little bit of increased success. And he slipped in and out pretty well. And at times, he actually peppered Ward with flurries. But Ward, who was determined to come forward and land on the inside, found some success with the right hand upstairs. And round seven, again, was starting out really well for Arturo Gatti. He comes out, he starts to outwork Mickey Ward with combinations to the head, but towards the end of the round, 
Ward decides to make a switch to the southpaw stance momentarily. Now, following the round, Ward was told by his trainer and half-brother, Dickie Acklin, bang the shit out of him. Don't be a punching bag. If you're going to be a punching bag, I'm not going to let things go like this. Fight hard. <laughs> That's great advice from, from Dickie, to be fair. It was getting to the point where, I mean, that seventh round, Gatti did dominate the round, did outwork Ward, and he was hitting him with some hellacious, as as broadcaster Jim Lantley described the fifth round, but hellacious body shots and combinations and shots to the head. It was just, you know, he was really becoming a bit of a punching bag and, uh, and he was absolutely right. And, and even Dickie said he was there with a towel. Probably not even just for the first 10 rounds of this one fight, but for the whole 30. But yeah, great, great advice from Dickie. So, so moving on to round eight. And now this was a strong round for Mickey. He was able to get on the inside and bang away against Gatti, who was clearly arm-weary. Now, Gatti landed a nice combination in the final minute of the round, but Ward came back and hurt Gatti and had him against the ropes and on the defence, literally on the sand of the bell. So from round eight, it looked like he obviously took his, his brother's advice and he came out and he did exactly what he needed to do, making sure his brother definitely doesn't stop this fight and he really produced an excellent, an excellent round. So moving into round nine, now this round is quite simply one of the best and stunning rounds of boxing I think we'll ever see in it, it, it definitely in the noughties. For me, I mean this is this is the round of the noughties, if not of all time. It is it's, it's one of them. It's definitely a candidate. Ward came out frowned aggressively as the bell sounded to begin the round. He actually later said that his plan was to tap to the head and rip to the body. And that's what he wanted to do and that's exactly what he did. And again it was that left hook that landed to the body of Gatti. The same shot that Buddy McGirt was worried about as he walked to the ring as that fan, as you mentioned, Sean, that showed him exactly what Ward's going to do before the fight. And it sent Gatti down to one knee. And he remained on one knee before getting back to his feet at a count of nine, which was to the amazement of not, you know, everybody watching, but not only that, to Ward himself. You see that shot, that body shot, just under the rib case, that... You can take shots to the head. We've seen several fighters take shots to the head. You know, it scrambles your senses. Your body don't quite do what you want it to do, but sometimes you can recover easy. I'd say more easily than if, if it's a shot, a good shot to the body. If anyone's been watching old Ricky Hatton, he was a devastating body puncher. This was just as, this was a clinical body punch. And how on earth Gatti managed to get to his feet, I will never know because it was an absolute belter of a shot. Ward landed yes. 42 out of 71 punches. We're not um, sure about Gatti because right. he hasn't yeah. been in this kind of a war with as strong a fighter as Ward before. That body shot again. That's the body shot. It's the left hook to the body. Ward's money punch. And this knockdown counts. And he is hurt. This is it. It's, it's not going to recover. It's not like a head punch. He may not be able to recover. I don't think so. And, and Ward is going to go right back down there again, right to the body again. He's still hurting from the body punch also still, in addition to the head. Arturo Gatti refusing to go down as Mickey Ward pounds away. In the past, this is where Arturo Gatti has been dangerous. But, but Ward should go back to the body again. Gatti risking another low blow penalty to try to get Ward off of him and lands another big shot. Could Ward punch himself out for the time being with yes. that tremendous barrage in the first minute? Just look at this. Unbelievable. Can you believe there's still a minute and a half to go in the round? Gaddy blinking away the blood in his right eye. Can't see out of the right eye. This 
trying to get a break. Watch it go right back to the body. That, that's where he's going to go to the body. You know, you dream of fights like this, but very seldom do they live up to the expectations. This is even more than you can dream of. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time. Arturo Gatti's out on his feet. Frank Capitino's going to let him keep going. Gatti doesn't even have the strength to tie Ward up. And, and Ward is tied. And here comes Gatti back. Less than 10 seconds in the round. Gatti's going to survive the round. This should be the round of the century. Oh, it was one of the best shots in in boxing. One of the best body shots you'll ever see. It's like a bullet. It was that fast and that accurate on his body that you just you wouldn't be known how he got up from that. It's unbelievable. But the warrior and the spirit of Arturo Gatti and the heart of Arturo Gatti managed to get him to his feet. And obviously, Mickey Ward tries to come to finish off Gatti. And all those in attendance rose to the feet and applauded. And he connected with a barrage that had stumbled Gatti. But remarkably, he still keeps on his feet. And Frank Cappuccino gives the opportunity to Arturo Gatti to continue the fight. So Gatti retaliates with looping shots again around Ward's guard and he got him against the ropes and rocked him with combinations which landed to the head and the body so Gatti's starting to turn the fight round even though he's just been knocked down with a vicious body shot he's getting up and somehow manages to start rocking Mickey Ward Mickey Ward gathers himself he comes back he hurts Gatti to the body and rips him with combinations and Gatti appears to be out on his feet at this point and even unable to raise his arms to, to block but the action was still allowed to continue it seemed likely at this point that the fight could be stopped or maybe even should have been stopped at any time. Even Gatti's trainer, Buddy McGirt, advised his fighter that he would not allow him to keep taking this type of punishment. Now, a few quotes from a few people that were involved in the making of this fight or a part of this fight. Kathy Duva called it, This looked more like a scene from Rocky. It didn't look like a real fight. We didn't think this could actually happen in real life and Jim Lampley who was obviously on broadcasting team of that night he was overcome with emotions on commentary saying you can stop it Frank you can stop it at any time and he later said he was out of control because the fight was out of control the crowd was out of control the moment was out of control he almost lost control of his emotions just talking about the fight in the legendary night's documentary that HBO did and he said you know every once in a while someone will ask me what's the greatest fight you've ever called or what's the greatest round you've ever called? Or what's the greatest thing you've ever seen in boxing? And the answer is, Gatty Ward won round nine. I think it'll always be the answer. You know what? When when you see that, if anyone hasn't seen the legendary night documentary, you know, please go and have a look and and just listen to Jim because he really does get emotional. He always gets choked up when he's describing it. Just just going back to the moment of watching that round nine, and he was overcome with emotions. It was. For him, he was saying, what was he thinking to be saying, stop the fight? But it was to the point where he could well have stopped it and he would have been within his right. And, and what is even more funny is the fact that Frank Cappuccino even comes out and says, and I probably might not do this justice, he probably does it exactly the, the best way. I mean, if, as I say, go and watch it because he, he, he sums it up quite beautifully. He said, I would have got killed if I stopped the fight. They would have ruined me. Oh, Jesus Frank Cappuccino, he really shit it up. He really shit the place up, you know. <laughs> he basically, he, he, he puts it in a lovely way. And I must say that 
he knew himself that it got to the point where he could have stopped it, but you've just got to let it go. I mean, we're in round nine. You've got one more round to go. Could you imagine if we'd have stopped it, they would have killed him, wouldn't they? <laughs> <Strong> <laughs> I think up. they would have done. Yeah, they think they would have done. So we go back to the action, and prior to the start of round number 10, Ward in his corner believed the fight had been stopped, and you actually see Mickey Ward come out, and he raises his arm as if the fight's over and he's victorious. And the funny part about it is Frank Cappuccino says to him, no, the fight ain't over. This fight ain't over. It's the last round. Get back in your corner. And he sends Mickey <laughs> Ward back to his corner, and he, it's just a moment of confusion there. So round number 10, the 10th and final round. The round was 30 seconds short because the timekeeper didn't actually stop the clock amid the confusion at the beginning of the round. Gatti had some energy early in this last and final round and landed shots to Ward's head and body. Ward was unfazed and he threw punches of his own during the 10th round. Merchant, Larry Merchant that is, went on to say, I am humbled by watching these two guys take the punishment they are taking. And Jim Lampley said, Well, we told you it might be a candidate for fight of the year. We didn't know it would be a candidate for fight of the century. It's, it's quite funny when you watch the fight and you hear the commentary and you can see how, how emotional they are, how the fighters are, how, how emotional everybody is. And, and when you're watching it, you're in awe, especially after that round nine, you sort of have to calm yourself down. And obviously it gets cut 30 seconds short because of the confusion. But they go for it, hell for leather again in that in that 10th round. And, and at the final bell, both men, they were clearly just absolutely exhausted. And they embraced by the end of the fight. Ward actually had a large knot on his left cheekbone and he complained of the pain he was in in his right elbow. Gatty looked like a zombie as he walked back to the corner, clearly in pain as he walked back, but it was just uh, an absolute war. I mean, I love a slugfest. This is one of them. Sometimes I have to sort of grimace and look through my hands at times. The guys that were involved in it describe it and how they get choked up when they describe it because they just feel the emotions as they explain it. And it really is just a stunning fight and, and one that, you know, again, it, it, I can't tell you enough if you haven't seen it. Or even if you have, just go back and watch it again because it, it is great fun to do that as well. <laughs> yeah, it certainly <laughs> is. It's one of the fights you can watch over and over and over again. Uh, the, fu- the funny story about uh, this fight, after the fight, these two guys are actually given their all here and Mickey Ward was announced the winner with a 94-93 and a 95-93 card, with one card being scored a 94-94 draw. So it was a really, really close decision, but Mickey Ward got the decision in this first fight. And after the fight, they were both taken to the emergency room at the hospital, and they both found themselves lying in the adjacent beds, and they ended up chatting with each other. And it was actually, you can see this in, in that documentary where the doctor's seen to Mickey Ward, he pulls the curtain back, and there's Arturo Gatti, and the first thing he says to Mickey Ward is, are you okay, Mick? And that's just the the, found, the newfound respect that these guys had for each other as a result of sharing them 10 rounds of hell with each other. It's absolutely uh, amazing. It was unbelievable. They just sat talking to each other like the best of friends. And, and that's where, obviously, the friendship really began after this first fight. But, of course, we would have two more fights, which we're, we're going to discuss as well. Was this as tough as anything you've been through, Mickey? Uh, most definitely, yeah. Uh... Toro's a gentleman, he's a great fighter. He's proved, he didn't have to prove nothing to no one tonight. He's proved over the years what he can do. You know, he, he's a great man, he's a great warrior, and I have nothing but total respect for him. This fight was a very close fight. This fight could have went either way in my, in my mind. I take nothing from a Toro, he's a great man, buddy, he's a great guy. He's our manager, uh, Pat Lynch. It's a great team, they're great people. Arturo, your impression, have you ever been in anything like that? Uh, not really, he's a very tough guy. Uh, you know, I hit him with some good shots. He kept getting stronger every round, and uh, I got to give it to him. You know, it's a tough fight. 
close fight. It could have gone either way. I just thought that uh, I shouldn't have got a point taken off for a low blow because you know, I was not intentional, but that's all right, you know. Was his durability, his ability to take your punches, the difference in the fight? Well, yeah, you know, he's a tough guy, and uh, he's got a good defense. You know, for a guy that don't move a lot, he's got a pretty good defense. You know, sometimes, you know, you don't need to move your head that much not to get hit. At, at the end of the ninth round, was your uh, trainer trying to stop the fight, Buddy McGirt? Uh, not at all. You know, he told me if I wanted to keep going, keep going. He said it's a close fight. You could win this fight. This is the last round. You take this round, you have the fight. And, uh, you know, I want to keep going. You know, he hurt me to the body. He's a strong guy, you know. Were you almost out in that ninth round? Uh, actually, I was trying to take my uh, my breath back, and uh, and he kept punching me. But no, I'm all right. You know, did I you, see him gone, but I'm not. Did you Did you think he was finished in that ninth round? Oh yeah. I'm, to be honest with you, I did. But um, I did. But you can't take nothing. You can't take for granted. What he's like? You like rock? He's like granted. When you went back to the corner, were you afraid they were going to stop the fight? No, no, no. If they didn't stop in the ninth, they won't stop in the tenth because everybody knows who I am. I'm the comeback boy. You were bloody from early in the fight. Did that blood bother you, Mickey? It bothered me early on, uh, but it kind of uh, Al Gavin did a great job in on, uh, so I felt better as the fight went on. One question: Do you guys want to do this again? Uh, I would love to. I would love to uh, get a rematch if it's possible, and uh, I think we should do it again. We can do it. We'll do it. You get most of the money is what you're trying to say. <laughs> we, can, we can talk, you know. We even money. It's a great fight and two great warriors, you know. It's honest, honesty. You know. It's an honest guy. It's a great fight together. I think we should do it again. The post-fight interviews, they were quite interesting. So, Mickey Ward said in the post-fight interview, Arturo's a gentleman. He's a great fighter. He didn't have nothing to prove to no one tonight. He's proved what he is and what he can do. I have nothing but total respect for him. This fight could have went either way in my mind. And Arturo Gatti also said in his post-fight interview, he's a very tough guy. I hit him with some good shots. He kept getting stronger every round. It was a tough fight, a close fight. It could have gone either way. I just thought I shouldn't have got a point taken off for the low blow. It was not intentional, but that's all right. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I watched the fight. when I watched the fight back again recently, I have to say, I feel, I feel that Gatti probably edged it. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. And I feel that, Although saying that it was such a fantastic fight, you know, I was sort of with Frank Lombardi who, who called it a 94-94 because they just put themselves, you know, they put their lives on the line. Let's be honest here. That was basically what happened. And, and I must say that, you know, it was just a draw probably would have been a fair result. But saying that Irish Mickey Ward, it was great that he got that win because if he get, you know, by getting that win, it gave him an opportunity to get the other two fights. And as we expressed earlier, you know, the fact he didn't earn much money. So, this was a this was a good a good way of him for the second fight, which we'll discuss in a minute. Of earning that little bit more money that he hadn't earned and that hadn't hadn't picked up. And and Gatti's manager Pat Lynch actually said that Gatti told him, "I always said that I will never fight anyone harder than myself." Tonight, I finally faced that person, and he was absolutely right. I mean, that's, they were just made made for each other. The pair of them, they just it was it was whatever Lou de Bella see, he obviously sees something because it, the chemistry between the pair of them as in the ring and then obviously after as well just to respect that for each other they were both both very comfortable with fighters you don't always expect it sometimes it doesn't go that way sometimes we expect it to be a, an absolute barnstorm and it doesn't it fails to deliver this one didn't and and in, and in 2002 which obviously when it happened it got 
Boxing Writers Association America Fight of the Year. You've got the Ring Magazine Fight of the Year, Ring Magazine Round of the Year in Round 9, and the USA Today Round of the Year in Round 9. And it just shit, the accolades, I mean, it goes on. That was 100% the best fight of that year. Amazing. It's an amazing fight. It certainly is. And obviously, because of the result of it, not many people, I think, were expecting Mickey Ward to come out on top in this particular fight and they were expecting Gatti to, to come back and maybe get that win and move on in his career and I think we're all very thankful for the fact that Mickey Ward did go on to win that first fight because of what it created and the trilogy it created so the second fight obviously then was made it was an immediate rematch it happened on November the 23rd 2002 at the Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City and the referee this time was Earl Morton now Although Ward got the victory in the first encounter, they both won financially because Ward Gatti 1 was awarded Fight of the Year. Ward Gatti 2 was Payment of the Year for the rematch. Each man (laughs) goes on to receive $1.2 million. Gatti had been to those financial heights before, but Mickey Ward hadn't. Never before in boxing history had a fighter lost 11 fights and received a purse in excess of $1 million. Suddenly... Mickey Ward was a million-dollar club fighter. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely bang on. And it probably should have been called Ward Gatty 2 Payment of the Year because they, <laughs> I mean, at 1.2 million, I mean, that, that is, I think even Mickey Ward said that he finally, he had delivered for, for just, you know, putting his body on the line in so many uh, excellent fights. I mean, the Augusta fight is obviously the one to go to for Mickey Ward, if not, obviously, the, the Gatty fights. But, absolutely uh, deserved he deserved his money I mean a million dollars might not sound a massive lot but obviously to Mickey well, it was I mean it is to all of us but you know some for, for these big fights don't tend to but obviously it was a sellout as well this fight there was loads of, everybody wanted to see the second fight and, and and it was a remarkable turnaround for a man who had retired in 1991 at the age of 26 after losing four fights in a row and Ward actually said I was burned out I had too many tough fights I'd lost my confidence. I had nothing left to give. I wasn't happy. It was like having a job that you don't want to go to. And you can't fight like that. There were times when it seemed like I was on a roller coaster and I couldn't get off. If someone told me back then that someday I'll make a million bucks from one fight, I'd have thought they were nuts. But it's all worth it now. It certainly was. Now, three days before their rematch in Atlantic City at the final pre-fight press conference Ward said in the ring we tried to kill each other but I have a lot of respect for Arturo I like him he's a nice person I would never say anything bad about him and I think that he feels the same way about me and Gatti responded by saying Mickey is a great guy I can't say anything bad about him even if I wanted to I couldn't find anything bad to say so when the bell sounded for that second fight Jim Lampley again began with the line Mickey Ward and Arturo's Gatti start again, with what may be, may, may or may not be, round 11 of their hellacious 10-round fight in May of this year. Now, in the end, Ward and Gatti 2 didn't really measure up to its predecessor, but it was a fantastic fight. It was as brutal as anticipated, only this time, the brutality was a lot more one-sided than the first fight. Gatti came out with faster hands, a quicker jab, and better footwork, Ward moved forward for much of the fight, of course, but it was quite an effective aggression. And when Ward did manage to get on the inside, 
Gatti actually started bending low to avoid the body shots and he actually started to tie Mickey Ward up and spoil Mickey Ward's work on the inside. So he'd learnt a lot from that first fight and decided to implement that into the game plan with Buddy McGirt for the second fight and, and make it a little bit more like what the first fight really game plan should have been, which was to, to spoil what Mickey Ward was trying to do. And the fight turned in Gatti's favour from round about the third round in. Gatti missed with a big right hand that landed on Ward's shoulder uh, and slid up against the back of his ear. Now, that punch hurt Mickey Ward really bad and he actually fell into the turnbuckle and then down onto the canvas. And when he rose again, his legs had gone and it looked to be all over, especially when Arturo Gatti jumps all over him again to finish the fight. Ward, 32 out of 92, starting at a measured pace, just as he did in the last fight. Ward has got a good left jab. He's able to get his right hand in when he uses it. And of course, that opens things up for your left hook. Corner should tell him to jab this man. Jab Gotti. Jab him. Ward's trainer is his half-brother, Dickie Eklund, who has been at the helm of Ward's boxing career pretty much throughout. There's a great right hand by Gotti. And Mickey Ward goes down. You don't see that very often. And Ward's still wobbly as Earl Morton picks up the count. Yeah, it really did. I mean, that was a big punch. We'll, we'll mention exactly what happened as well in a minute. But to, to him, with his perspective, the eardrum. But, you know, the fact that that was a big shot and he, he sort of, he fell literally headfirst into the turnbuckle. It was crazy. He, he looked like he was gone. I mean, even referee Earl Morton, he was sort of looking into his eyes. He said, I was trying to, to work out whether he's still with us. And he was. And although... He was with him. He, his legs were gone. You could see it. Almost like how on earth he manages to get through this round. And Wall did recollect. He said, I was out of it so bad that he threw a jab and then caught me on the bottom with a right hand. And it was that shot that actually woke me up. I wasn't dazed no more. So he actually knocked me out and woke me up in the same round. That's the truth. <laughs> I mean, that is crazy. So he was, you, you watch the fight and it, I tell you what, what he explains there is bang on. This shot, is, he's all over the gaff. It really is. Uh, Earl Morton's let it carry on, and you're sort of thinking, it's going to be over, it's going to be over. And he does hit him with his shot. He sort of falls into the ropes, comes back. And he's not dizzy no more. It's really weird. He's like not on rubbery legs. So, oh, I can't even tell you. I mean, that, that, that must, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, to be knocked out and then woke up in the same round. I mean, what well, a thing. It's, it's crazy. I mean, as I say, this, this was a bit of a one-sided beatdown. It wasn't as good as the first in terms of, had you know they both went for broken they both had successes this was predominantly more gay but wow i mean what a way i mean and the fact that you know from that shot that sort of bumped up and hit him in the in the ear it did really affect his eardrum and he sort of he was unbalanced for basically the whole fight so at one point the pounding was actually so fierce that dickie eckland jumped onto the ring apron and he was ready to stop the fight but somehow ward managed to survive the onslaught from Arturo Gatti and he actually started to throw his hands out like he needed to he needed to get them hands out he needed to show that he was able to stay in the fight and he did so now the pounding had actually robbed him of his strength necessary that he needed to win so he continued to move forward for the rest of the night but it was Gatti who teed off consistently and landed consistently a respectful embrace rather than a touch of gloves to start the last round was a show of pure respect between these two warriors and when we're saying it was quite a one-sided fight it was because the judges scored it that way 98-91 98-91 and 98-90 
Now, Ricky Ward said in his post-fight press conference, It was his night tonight. It was up to me to win the fight and I didn't. He beat me. That's all. And Gatti said, I was surprised I hurt him the way I did. No doubt about it. I knew he'd get up and finish the fight. Mickey is the toughest guy I ever fought in my life. There aren't many guys like him around. The sport needs people like me and Mickey Ward. Me and Mickey make the sport look good. And we make other fighters work harder when they see us fight. Mickey is unbelievable. He has the heart of a lion. He's my twin, I think. <laughs> That's a great quote, isn't it? I think, as he said earlier to his manager, I think, you know, he said that he's basically fighting a mirror of himself. And they were two warriors. And obviously, with with the, the, the eardrum issue, I mean, obviously, he's been caught with that, that obviously ruined Ward. He was unable to really... He was staggered, he said, for pretty much the whole fight. He didn't know where he was at times. He even said that after. And, you know, so he was a little... It could have been if, if the eardrum hadn't had burst or whatever happened. I'm not quite sure. It was definitely the eardrum, so it made him unbalanced. And, and the funny thing was that as well was the shot that actually slipped up. He actually went to to the body and it flipped up and hit him in the ear. So it was actually like an accidental shot from Gatti that would actually turn the fight in his favour. And, and it just slowed Ward down. Inevitably, we did get the trilogy. It was, it, was, it was a funny one because the rubber match did take a lot longer to arrange, mainly because Team Gatti were dragging their feet to secure the deal. Now, when Gatti did ask his manager, Pat Lynch, he said that basically, when we're looking for this fight, when was it happening? Um, Pat Lynch sort of said to him that um, they're looking for other alternatives. And Gatti responded though quite abruptly. He said, no, there are no alternatives. Ward gave me the chance in a rematch, so I want to give him the chance for a rubber match. And not only that, I mean, even Kathy Dover said that Gatti wanted to give Ward the fight because... He obviously liked, they liked each other. You know, although when they go in and they want to kill each other, they were really obviously great mates out of the ring. And he wanted to make him earn some more money. Obviously, the reservations on Ward's side of it was obviously, you know, he was getting on a bit and whether it was worth putting his life at risk. That's it. Even though, you know, Getty had won the second fight comprehensively, he still wanted to give Ward that shot, that one more shot. It was one each, after all. It was one apiece. It was the rubber match. So the third fight, of course, it made sense. Ward had to seriously consider what he wanted to do because obviously he's starting to worry about his own health at this point. His wife wasn't happy for him to take the fight with a theory that he may end up losing his life on that night. And in the end, the fight was agreed and Ward said that this would be his last ever fight on June the 7th and 2003 at the Boardwalk Hall again in Atlantic City. Now, the third fight started just as the second did really with Gatti taking control from the off, boxing well, not engaging too often, and Ward looked to be on his way to another lopsided defeat. And then in the third round, Gatti went to the body with his right hand, but his punch landed on Ward's hip, resulting in Gatti actually breaking his hand. And Gatti returns to his corner in agony, and you can see it, and he actually tells Buddy McGirt that his hand was broke, but he insists on continuing the fight with just the one hand. So Ward starts to claw his way back into the fight, and he managed to floor Gatti in the sixth round. Ward said that his intention was to pressure Gatti following the knockdown, but he said that he came out in the eighth round like he was walking on quicksand. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that uh, he's obviously hurt. He's, you know, he had the eardrum problem. Second round, Gatti has the broken hand. So it's almost like it's, it's a rubber match as well. It's, it's, it's so dead even. And Ward, you know, he felt like, you know, he puts him down in the sixth. Although he was behind, it was turning to his favour. Even even Dickie even said, like, yes, like I was so pleased that he broke his hand. Because you could actually see it. He's just throwing his left hand at times, trying to beat him with one hand. And 
they trying to beat Mickey Wall with two hands hard enough. And, and basically, yeah, he said that he felt like all those wars had endured in his career, plus the 26 grueling rounds he had fought at by this point against Gatti, had finally taken his toll on him, and he had become aged at that moment. And as he walked out for that set, as he walked out for that seventh round, so it's, it's crazy, isn't it? How, how sometimes it hits you. Sometimes it'd be in a gym. Sometimes it'd be one fight. But for for Mickey, it was a matter of just that moment where he's thinking come out for the seventh and get rid of Gay, and straight away that all those fights just all of a sudden just hit. I mean, that being said, even though Wall finally did fill his age and Gay had a broken hand, they continued with their incredible third encounter, as like like their lives depended on it. And and going into that twelfth round, I mean, both again just they were absolute warriors and they went for it. They had pure admiration for one another and just before that round started they actually hugged each other uh, and the one thing that always stands out for me when I watched this third fight and the 30th round between them is, is the crowd they they stood for the full three minutes applauding yeah they did amazing it's amazing it's it just it signified really it just signifies the end of what was an amazing trilogy for for both of these men absolutely amazing it was unbelievable fight absolutely unbelievable and I think you've got to applaud both men really for what they what they brought to these three fights, and I think Kathy Dover actually sums up the relationship and the bond that both men had struck up in this extraordinary rivalry best when she actually turns around and says, "In the beginning, it was just us and them, but going into the last round of the third fight, in that thirtieth round, it simply just became us." You know, every once in a while, somewhere in my life, someone will ask me, "What's the greatest fight you've ever called?" or What's the greatest round you've ever called, or what's the greatest thing you've ever seen in boxing? And the answer is, Gaddy Ward won, round nine. I think that'll always be the answer. That is, I mean, when when you actually watch a documentary and you hear Larry Merchant, uh, Jim Lampley, you hear, you know, every all of them, Kathy Duvan, McGirt, you know, they just, it, it's almost like they just, it, it does become them. It becomes a one thing. Like, could you imagine having to? as a team and you're against another team, you know, whatever sport you're in, playing each other three times, fighting each other three times and then, you know, producing these three magnificent fights, eventually emotion is going to catch up on you and you're actually going to like each other and that's basically what happened. They all really just, it, they, uh, it, it is just remarkable really. It really is quite touching and as I say, like when I first watched that documentary, I did have to hold back the tears a little bit because it really is an emotional watch for, for me personally, maybe because I just love the sport of boxing and, and just the way that two guys could fight each other like that three times for over 30 rounds and just have this admiration for one another and, and become really ex- exceptional friends, excellent friends, which we'll, we'll obviously discuss right at the end. But I mean, it, it, uh, the first fight will always be the one, but you know, the whole package of the whole thing is just it, how these two teams come together and become one is, is beautiful really. Yeah, it is. And obviously Arturo Gatti would actually go on to get the decision in the third and final fight against Mickey Ward, and that would sum up him winning the trilogy, essentially. And this third fight was actually named the Ring Magazine's Fight of the Year for 2003. So it leads us nicely, really, into the aftermath and what you were touching on earlier about how this this fight affected both of their careers. Obviously, this was Mickey Ward's last fight, but for Arturo Gatti, he continued his career and on January the 24th, 2004, Gatti, having recovered from a broken hand, actually scored a 10th round knockdown and defeated Gianluca Branco of Italy via a 12-round unanimous decision to win the vacant WBC light welterweight championship of the world. 
Now, on July 24th, 2004, he knocked out the previously unbeaten former world champion, Leonard Dorin Doroftio, in two rounds in Atlantic City to retain his title. And at this point as well, you actually see a guy in his entourage, and it's Mickey Ward. And Mickey Ward ends up coming back to help him, to, to be there, to be sort of part of his entourage just to be there you know they they got so much of a bond together that they'd said to to pat lynch maybe we should bring maybe we should bring mickey ward back and and have him as part of the entourage and just him being there you know kind of inspires arturo gatti to to to, want to go on and want to fight harder than than what he normally does so he got them two victories he got the wbc light welterweight title then defends it now in the second defense of his wbc title it came against former super featherweight wbc champion jesse james leha on january the 29 2005 gatti goes on to beat leha via fifth round knockout and that same night arturo's protege danny little mac mcdermott won his pro debut as well as a side note now the next fight would be where you really start to see the downside and the downslide of Arturo Gatti's career because he took on former super featherweight and lightweight world champion, a certain Mr. Floyd Mayweather Jr. on June the 25th, 2005. And this was probably the worst beating that Arturo Gatti ever suffered in his career. I think if you watch back over all them big fights that we've talked about in, in this episode in the build-up to the Mickey Ward trilogy, the Mickey Ward trilogy itself, I don't think anything was as horrific as the Floyd Mayweather fight. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Oscar De La Hoya was probably a close second. I think, I think he really did give him a bit of a battering. But Floyd Mayweather did absolutely dismantle Gay, and he, once again, you know, when he did when he did step up to those elite fighters, he really did. He did struggle. Uh, he wasn't quite elite, but what an absolute warrior! And and just just get it right. I mean, he was just a fantastic fighter to watch. He was just that's the one thing you'll always see. I mean, the crazy thing is, he was probably. His earlier career, from from some of the footage, he was a decent. He was always a decent boxer. He was pretty much going in, went into his early stages of his career as the boxer, and he just developed into the boxer puncher. Where he, you know, as soon as he gets hurt, he just become, you know, he just wanted to go to war. And and you know, we all know with, with Mayweather's defensive skills, how great they are. And then you had Gay, who had none. <laughs> it was just always going to go one way. And, and the fact that people actually felt that Gate was going to win this fight, I think it was a bit bit daft, really. I think it was pretty obvious that Floyd Waver had had it had it all, but I don't think we expected it to be that much of a, as much of a battering as it was for Gate. But yeah, a really bad one to watch. I mean, if you're a Gate fan, I wouldn't even bother going to that one to <laughs> dig through the archives to see that one. <laughs> no, it's pretty horrible. It was that it was that bad that he obviously got his cornerman through the towel in after six rounds because it was it was that one sided. So after that loss to Mayweather, he moves up again and goes to the welterweight division and he beats Thomas Damgard on the twenty eighth of January two thousand and six by an eleventh round technical knockout to win a, a very, very medicure regarded world title known as the IBA welterweight title and it becomes a it becomes a champion in three weight divisions, but I think in most people's eyes, nobody really regards that as a legit world championship. So yeah. interpret that how you will. For me, it was a two weight world champion, but on paper, the IBA was a sanctioning body which was recognised, and people may say he was a three weight world champion. Not us personally, but people yeah. do say that. But for Arturo Gatti, 
he still continued his career. July the 22nd, 2006, he loses a TKO against Carlos Baldemir, who was vying for the WBC and Ring Welterweight Championship of the World. Now, it was after this loss that he broke off his relationship with longtime trainer at that point, Buddy McGurr. And he ends up looking for a new trainer, and lo and behold, Pat Lynch finds him a new trainer, and it's none other than Mickey Ward. Now, <laughs> you look at the documentary, and Pat Lynch talks about this relationship at this point, and getting Mickey Ward involved was more not about trying to teach Arturo Gatti something new, because there was nothing really new for him to learn. It was about keeping him motivated and for him to train harder and, and fight harder, but it was all in vain, really, because when he did attempt to come back on July the 14th, 2007, against former contender of that contender series, Alfonso Gomez, Alfonso Gomez ends up stopping him in, in another pretty one-sided fight, really. And it was after this fight where Gatti finally announces his retirement in the dressing room, reportedly quipping, I'm coming back as a spectator. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think he should have probably quit a long time up before that. I think maybe after winning that legitimate world title, WBC world title, I think after that, maybe have a defence or two, which he did. I think maybe then he should have called it a day. He shouldn't have even gone near Floyd Mayweather. He would have probably earned himself a bit of bob, though, just to be fair. Maybe after that battle, when he should have called it a day. But, you know, that's what happens with these fighters. They continue, don't they? And, and, uh, and on December 10th, 2012, Turo Gatti was voted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And the one thing you, meant, you you notice, obviously, with the documentaries, it starts off with Mickey Ward ready to go to the awards. And he actually goes there to accept the award on, on, on uh, Turo Gatti's behalf. Now, that was because two years after his comeback fight against Alfonso Gomez, on July 11, 2009, Gatti was actually found dead in a hotel in Brazil, where he was on holiday with his Brazilian wife, who was believed she was a stripper, Amanda Amanda Rodriguez. And they had a 10-month-old son as well. He was only 37 years old. The rumour is is that, obviously, he he had a few too many, and he bashed her. He he beat her up quite badly uh, and left her bloodied outside the nightclub, and he went back to go to bed. The next thing, they found him hanging. Now, it it was on very suspicious circumstances. His wife was actually arrested and then later released. Rumour has it that it was her brothers that did it, and but it was, you know, the authorities say that it was because he uh, committed suicide. So, a, a tragic end for Turo Gatti at the age of 37 years old. You know, he did live in the fast lane. We ain't gone too much into that, but Gatti, uh, you know, he liked his drink, uh, and I say it's a bit handy with his hands. So, you know, you don't beat up the missus in Brazil and expect no re- repercussions. Unfortunately, um, I believe, personally, looking at it, I think uh, he probably was murdered, but, you know, that's my version of things in a way. Boxer Arturo Gatti was a legendary tough guy, but even tough guys are not indestructible. Gatti found dead at a luxury seaside resort in Brazil today. A police investigator says it's unclear how the 37-year-old died, but, quote, it's all very strange. I was just in shock. Shock. Can't believe it. Still can't believe it. He asked himself, Why? I mean, why? How? I mean, I mean, what? It's, it's, you can't even put it in words. It's really hard because, you know, it happened in a foreign country. There's really not much cooperation down there. They did what they felt was their investigation, and uh, it's kind of closed on their end. And there's so many conflicting stories. No one really knows the truth of what happened. But, 
you know, I, I believe in my heart no one knew him better than me in his adult life. I can guarantee you that Arturo Gotti didn't take his life that night in Brazil. He was killed. He was murdered. I never believe it that he, he did that. Took his own life. Never. He had a son that he loved to, to death. He had a daughter, Sophia, that he loved to death. Two kids. He wouldn't do it. No way. It's something to explore later on down the line yeah. with Arturo Gatti, definitely. But let's focus on, obviously, the positive side of, of obviously what he did in his career and, you know, looking at the, the two-weight world champion and the, the trilogy and the fights with Robinson. Obviously, we've talked about them. We've talked about his fights earlier on in his career. And then you've got to look at Mickey Ward's career after the Arturo Gatti trilogy. So the fight, the final fight, was actually named... 2003's Ring Magazine Fight of the Year and this was the third straight year for Ward where he was the first fighter to achieve this since the great Rocky Marciano and Carmen Basilio each did so in the 1950s so Mickey Ward in the 2000s ends up earning that, that accolade because of him being involved in fights of the year three years in a row. Now, Ward approximately made $3 million in earnings for this trilogy we got it, the most lucrative fights of his career, without a shadow of a doubt. And for Mickey Ward, he still lives in Lowell, where he is a part owner of both a boxing gym as well as an outdoor hockey rink. He's married, obviously, still to Charlene Fleming, his longtime girlfriend, uh, who's also a former athlete, and he manages the boxing gym he owns, and his half-brother, uh, and the former trainer, Dickie Eklund, trains new boxers entering its academy. Now, we talked about the fighter earlier on in the episode, and you mentioned it about Dickie Eklund being on there, played by Christian Bale. The story of Ward's comeback and his rise to fame was made into a feature film in 2010, The Fighter, which starred Mark Wahlberg, who was nominated for the Golden Globe for the Best Actor as Mickey Ward. Wahlberg confirmed to Spike TV that The Fighter 2 is actually in the works as well, which will focus on the legendary fight trilogy between Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti, which is something that I never knew was happening. So it'd be amazing if they brought out this trilogy of fights as a film as as The Fighter 2. This is... I love this film. I absolutely love this film. This summed up a really rags-to-riches kind of story, but it didn't really go all the way to the riches. It kind of got from the rags up to a point where you think to yourself, oh, I'd love to see the Gatti fights now, and it left you hanging, and there was a reason it left you hanging. It was because, obviously, they're going to go on to do a, a fighter too, which is fantastic news to hear about. But, Johnson, you know, look at Mickey Ward's career after this trilogy with Arturo Gatti and these fights changed his life he could have quit boxing and never come back in 1991 my god it was a decision that he made and it was the right decision to come back because we would never have got this trilogy and this legendary night absolutely uh, and the fact that you know if you obviously Dickie with, with the problems he was having being released from prison being on the drugs and uh, being an addict was the guy that convicted him as well, which is which is even more interesting. And obviously having the surgery, and he comes back, has that little lease of life, where he wins a load of fights, and then has a few losses, and he looks like he's just gonna, you know, he's gonna call it a day. And then Lou DiBella rings him up with this with this fantasy of his to put the fight on, and, and wow, I mean, so many aspects, little sliding door moments there throughout all of Wall's career, and 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 how fascinating it is that he goes on to win. The amount of money he did and the millions he, he managed to earn three million from the trilogies and obviously earning money from the from doing all sorts of other stuff and obviously the film the fighter and obviously he probably earned some 
some uh, money from Fighter 2 if it, when it happens, if it happens. I mean, what a, it really is a rag to riches story for, for, for Mickey Irish, Mickey Walden, and what a lovely guy as well. I mean, the, the relationship he, he had with Gatty was, was just great to see. He's really emotional. And I believe he's, he called his dog Gatty as well, didn't he? <laughs> he's bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, the fight, the first fight, obviously, for me, for you, Sean, is, is the one, is the best of the lot. Yeah. The third, I believe, is better than the second because it's just not as one-sided. I think that second's a bit more one-sided. But the three, you know, 30 rounds of just absolute pulsating viewing and, and just uh, uh, just remarkable, really, that these two guys and what they what they did, what they put their lives and their bodies on the line for us to just look back and to watch and discuss these fights. It's just, you can't knock them for it. I think it's just fantastic. So if you've enjoyed this episode, this legendary night, the tale of Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward, please let us know on social media at Legend Night Pod on Twitter and the Facebook page is BTR Boxing Podcast. You can check all our series out through that Facebook page. We've really, really enjoyed this. This is one of the greatest fights of all time. We say it in every single episode, but there's a reason we say it for every episode because literally every fight we cover for the series is an unbelievable fight and obviously we're at a period of time where a lot of people are having a lot of uncertainty with the epidemic going around the world as we record this with the coronavirus and we hope that episodes like this just bring you a bit of an escape from reality to be able to listen to a wonderful tale of two fantastic guys and two brilliant fighters in their own right and i hope after you've listened to this the next thing you go and do is get youtube on and start watching fight after fight and then go and watch the documentary after it because documentaries like that inspire podcasts like this and this is where we thoroughly enjoy doing what we do so thank you to everybody that has been listening to all the episodes we hope that you've really enjoyed this tale of Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward and right now Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard backs up against the ropes this is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport the first class a tremendous victory Leonard fighting off the ropes it happened it happened uppercut by Douglas Podcast Network. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.